The New Testament reading is taken from Philippians chapter 4, verse 2 to verse 9. I entreat Iodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honourable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Here ends the New Testament reading. It's really good to be with you this morning. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Ben Pryke. I'm on the staff here at St. Joseph's. And it'd be a real help if you could um, grab a Bible from uh, the backs of the chairs and turn to Philippians chapter 4 verses 2 to 9, which we had read earlier. Uh, That's on page 982. Uh, And there's also some space on the back of your service sheets if you'd like to take notes. If, like me, you tend to get a bit peckish at this time of the service, try and put off thoughts of barbecued sausages, and we're going to focus on God's Word. Let me pray to begin. Father, thank you that you speak to us through the Bible. Help us to understand it. And make us willing to listen to what you have to say. Amen. Well, if you're a Facebook or a Twitter user this week, you'll have seen that it's been absolute chaos uh, with all the political turmoil. Uh, and here are a few of the, uh, the posts that there have been. Um, new Brexit campaign bus. Uh, England team, 178 million. Let's spend it on the, uh, on the NHS. Um, apparently, uh, the Iceland manager... Uh, is actually a part-time dentist, but Roy Hodgson was paid three and a half million. Sad. Um, next up, Roy Hodgson seems to be uh, in demand from the Queen. Uh, she wants him to lead uh, um, Britain's um, leave from Europe. Seems like he's good at managing that. I'm not convinced that's a genuine Twitter account. Um, next up, um, apparently the day after Brexit, um, one of the main searched items on Google was what is the EU in Britain? Slightly worrying. Now, I've had a bit of fun, uh, but let's face it, we shouldn't be too flippant about it, because if you had been on Facebook in the last week, you'll have seen that a lot of people were um, genuinely worried uh, about what's going on with our country, whether they voted in the EU or out of the EU. It's easy to worry at the moment. There seems to be a bit of a political vacuum. Uh, We don't know what's going to happen to the economy. And we've also got our own personal worries, don't we? That might be competition at work, difficult family situations, relationship problems, financial difficulties, just to name a few. 
Some of our worries are rational, aren't they? Some are more irrational. In fact, I've heard it said, worrying works. 90% of the things I worry about never happen. I wonder if you can relate to that. Some of us might have been blessed not to have too many concerns at the moment. But as Christian author and academic Don Carson optimistically says, if you live long enough, you will suffer. It's a cheerful thought for Sunday morning, isn't it? He says the only thing that will prevent you suffering is if you don't live long enough, in which case you'll cause someone else to suffer. We're going to have worries in life. And being anxious isn't fun, is it? It eats away at us. It affects our relationships. It can cause us to sin. But imagine if you were able to have peace, whatever life threw at you. It would be life-changing, wouldn't it? And the incredible message of our Bible passage today from Philippians is that it is possible to have a deep sense of peace in every circumstance. And in Philippians chapter 4, Paul tells us how. He answers the question, how can we find peace which passes understanding? Well, what's the first thing that we should do when we're taking advice from someone? We should look at what are their credentials. Is Paul writing this letter from the beach of a nice Greek island like this, saying, relax, chill out, life is good, rejoice? Well, absolutely not. What we find out in Paul's letters is that he is someone who's worth listening to. In fact, Paul was one of the most prominent sufferers in the Bible. In Paul's letter, we find this long list of things he's had to endure. He's had to endure flogging, betrayal, hunger. He's been shipwrecked three times. He's been constantly in danger. He's lost his freedom in prison numerous times. In fact, Paul is writing this very letter from prison. And yet, as we've seen over the weeks of this sermon series, this letter to the Philippians is one of joy and encouragement, which is incredible in Paul's situation, isn't it? So this is someone worth listening to on this subject. He's not like big Billy Mouth Bass who we heard at the start. So how did Paul manage it? How can we find this peace from God in every circumstance. Well, I'm going to highlight three things that we learned from Paul this morning. You might want to note them down. Firstly, learn to rejoice in the Lord. Secondly, learn to pray. And thirdly, learn to think holy thoughts. You'll notice that I use the word learn for those. Uh, And later on in chapter four, Paul says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content So these things don't necessarily come naturally to Paul. They don't necessarily come naturally to us either. But take heart, we can learn them. So firstly, learn to rejoice in the Lord. Look down with me at verse 4. Paul says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now what would you expect Paul to say writing from prison? Maybe keep struggling on, hang in there like me. But instead, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always, in every situation. How can that be possible for him? Well, if we've really understood the message of the Bible, in a way, that's so obvious that we shouldn't need reminding of it. Mark's gospel starts off by telling us that it's about the good news of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that every one of us has turned our backs on God. We put ourselves first and not God, what the Bible calls sin. And for that, each of us deserves God's judgment. 
But Jesus took that judgment in our place. Paul tells us that back in chapter 2 of this very letter. You might remember, he says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved. And therefore, if we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are forgiven. And that's why we should rejoice if we've really understood the message of the Bible. It's the best news ever. We've not only been declared righteous, right with God. We've also been given so much more. We've been declared children of God. We're told our citizenship is in heaven. We've received the gift of the Holy Spirit, the sign that we have an incredible inheritance to come. Yes, life now can be difficult and painful. But Jesus has secured a great hope that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The hope of an eternity with God, where there'll be no more tears or pain or sadness. And we'll see Jesus face to face. So Paul isn't saying, put on a brave smile, even when it's hard. He's telling us to have a deep contentment in the Lord because of what he has done for us. Our contentment is based on trust in a living, sovereign God. It's a contentment that is always available, even in difficult times. It's one that is based on reason and fact. So rejoice in the Lord. Um, Some of you will know Hannah Greenshields. Uh, Dave's sitting down here. And uh, last Sunday, Sophie and I were just about to walk up the stairs downstairs. and, uh, And all we could see was just this huge belly coming down the stairs. Um, Now, if you don't know Hannah, I'm not being rude about her weight. Um, She was three days away from giving birth. And uh, she was uncomfortable. She was finding it a real struggle uh, to stand up even. But she was still joyful if you spoke to her because she knew that in three days' time, she was having a cesarean, she knew the exact date, she knew that the baby would be out and she'd get to meet her new baby. And it'd be joyful. And uh, congratulations to Hannah and Dave. Uh, Daniel Timothy was born on Wednesday morning, and he's extremely cute, although sadly not here this morning. The Bible tells us that we have a hope that's even more certain than a woman giving birth who's pregnant. And not only that, it's something that we don't deserve. We deserve judgment. So rejoice in the Lord. Don Carson, who I mentioned earlier, uh, the optimist, says this, Obedience to this command, to rejoice in the Lord, is possible because the ground of this rejoicing is changeless. Our circumstances may rightly call from us grief, tears, or sorrow. Unless the Lord comes back first, each of us will face death, our own, or if we live long enough, the death of loved ones and friends, and we will weep. But even in our tears, we may rejoice. We will rejoice. We must rejoice. For we rejoice in the Lord. He does not change. And that is why we shall rejoice in the Lord always. Let me ask, are you able to rejoice in the Lord always? Do you know these things so deeply that you find joy in them every day? If we're struggling to grasp that, then it's because we've either not understood the depths of our sinfulness... Or we've not grasped the scale of the blessings that God's given us. So firstly, learn to rejoice in the Lord. And secondly, learn to pray. 
Look down with me at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When was the last time you were anxious? I imagine many of us have been anxious even just today. Are we going to get to church on time? Are there going to be enough sausages to eat at the barbecue? But Paul says, don't be anxious about anything. It's a tall order, isn't it? Particularly when we're talking about more serious things. But thankfully, Paul doesn't just command us not to be anxious. He gives us an alternative. Look at what he says in verse 6. Paul says, instead of being anxious in everything, let your requests be made known to God. What he's saying is, if we want victory over worry, if we want to enjoy God's peace, which passes understanding, the prescription is to learn to pray. And here, Paul gives us some pointers, so take a look. Firstly, he says this, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Don't just pray in crises. Stay in a mindset of prayer all day long. Talk to God. Paul tells us in his letter to the Corinthians that our aim is to bring glory to God in every circumstance. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So whatever situation we're in, our prayer should be the opening words of the Lord's Prayer. Hallowed be thy name. But that doesn't mean we can't come to God with what's on our hearts and minds. In verse 6, Paul says we're to bring our supplications, our requests to God, our pleas for help. And the Psalms in particular show us that we can fully express our thoughts and emotions to our Heavenly Father. So firstly, pray about everything. And the second thing we learn about prayer is that we're to be thankful as we pray. Paul says, in everything, pray with thanksgiving. Now, that might seem a bit odd at first. Um, you know, if my wife asks me to put the bins out, she doesn't thank me as I put them out. Or when she asks me, she thanks me if I actually do it in her wisdom. <laughs> but when Paul says that we're to make our requests with thanksgiving at the same time as our requests, what he's saying is we're to come to our Heavenly Father being content and confident that he knows what's best. Even if we don't get the answer we want, it means coming to him and acknowledging that he is the source of all wisdom, trusting his sovereign rule over the whole of history, and being thankful that he designs for us every day, being thankful for all he designs for us each day. And remembering all those reasons that I mentioned earlier as to why we can rejoice. And what is the result of praying like this? We'll have a look at verse 7. It's a fantastic promise, isn't it? The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a fantastic promise. We'll know an incredible peace, which is hard to rationally explain. And it's true. Many of us have found as we pray, as Paul prescribes, that he's right. I say that from my own experience. I say that from having walked with others who found that even in the darkest of times. When we pray, we rest in our good God, who is sovereign and wise. It doesn't mean we won't have questions. It doesn't mean things are always going to be easy. Christians aren't above the pressures and the trials of this world. The Bible tells us that. But we can find peace and hope. 
Friends, let's learn to pray. My prayer is that every one of us would come to know that amazing peace through a constant life of prayer. Do you make prayer a priority? Is talking to our Heavenly Father your first port of call in any situation? When was the last time you prayed specifically about things that concern you and worry you and laid them before the Lord? We often find it hard, don't we? But in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus says this, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is the result of knowing God's peace? It gives us rest for our souls. And we also see in verse 7 that it guards our hearts and minds. Now what I want you to imagine here is uh, as a Roman soldier, uh, a bit like this. Um, a soldier who's strong and skilled in keeping the enemy at bay. And that's what God's peace is like when we pray. It's like a soldier guarding us against anxiety and the devil's attacks. But it doesn't mean that we don't have to work at it ourselves. In fact, the third thing that we learn from Paul about how to pray is key. We need to learn to rejoice. We need to learn to pray. And thirdly, we need to learn to think holy thoughts. And I'll have to keep this brief, but take a look at verse 8. Verse 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence... If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What Paul is saying is, think about the things of God. Learn to think godly thoughts. If we're going to take the peace of the Lord with us, wherever we go, then we need to keep our minds on track. The fact is, we either occupy our minds with good thoughts, or the world is going to occupy them with bad ones. Our mind can't be just unoccupied. So next time you're tempted to despair or to get overly anxious, imagine that soldier guarding your heart and mind. Think holy thoughts. Think about all the blessings we have in Christ. Think about what is pure and true and worthy of praise. I don't know if you know the famous hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. It's a great hymn. Uh, And it was written by an American lawyer called Horatio Spafford. Great name. And he knew the truth of these things that we've been talking about. In 1871, he lost everything he had in a fire in Chicago. And then two years later, his wife and four young daughters were were traveling on a ship to England. And the ship hit another ship, and all four of his daughters were drowned. And his wife was picked up unconscious by a rescue ship, but she survived. And as Horatio was traveling to pick up his wife from England, he wrote that hymn. And virtually the entire hymn is about Jesus and his salvation. And Tim Keller, who's an American pastor and author, who's written some really helpful books, uh, says this about the theme. What has Jesus and his salvation got to do with his four little girls who are dead? Everything. Do you know why? When things go wrong, one of the ways we lose your, you lose your peace is that you think you are being punished. But look at the cross. All the punishment fell on Jesus. And another thing you might think is that God doesn't care. But look at the cross. The Bible gives you a God that says, I have lost a child too. 
but not involuntarily, voluntarily on the cross for your sake so that I could bring you into my family. Horatio knew what it was to rejoice in the Lord, even while weeping. And we're going to finish by using the words of his hymn as a prayer. If you're going through a time of anxiety or even weeping right now, why not wait, make the incredible words of his hymn a prayer for yourself as we finish? When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, O oh, my soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. Father, thank you that because of Jesus, we can say it is well with my soul, whatever our situation. Help us to take hold of that truth. Guard our hearts and minds with your peace, which passes understanding. Amen.